we're going to jump in. Uh, so this is the Private Capital Strategy Series Episode uh, 12 uh, with Joshua um, Cherisito and Mike Trinkus on outsourcing uh, for the unknown and co-sourcing. Um, so Josh, I think um, I feel a little bit ridiculous uh, asking this, but um, can you introduce yourself? I think, uh, I think everybody knows you really well, but um, for anybody who doesn't, please. Happy to, Chris, and thanks for having me. Thanks, Mike, for uh, having me come come join you for this conversation. Um, I spent about eight years at Citi in finance in the early 2000s, including four years in an alternative asset class across the business. Um, in 2008, when the world somewhat came to an end, I, I went to real estate in a private equity structure, spent about five years there in the global markets, and in 2013, joined a middle market PE firm just as the industry was registering with the SEC and LPs increased demands coming out of the financial crisis. I spent nearly a decade um, at that firm, growing the team as the firm grew from about 100 million of assets under management to 3.5 billion of assets under management. I spent my last year uh, in an early stage VC shop. Awesome. Um, and You've written and you've been interviewed. I think I see Private Equity International amongst the attendees. Um, you've been interviewed on outsourcing. Um, one, how would you describe the environment right now from an operations and finance perspective for private capital? And then two, um, has that changed your thinking or your playbook when it comes to uh, outsourcing? Um, for sure. I, I think what we've seen is a real acceleration in the demand from LPs that's had an impact on us on the finance side. You know, I really remember when I started in the industry, um, most folks did their own self-administered in-house, but as there's been a maturation in admins beyond a transactional capability to more of a white glove relational, uh, relational capabilities, that's really led to all new GPs coming out you know, day one with an admin. You know, most of us older firms still sort of do things in-house, um, but there's a lot of pressure today, not just starting with SEC regulation, which now, you know, is 10 years in the mirror, right? This is part of the status quo, but also as we've seen a real growth in uh, GP-led restructurings and secondaries, um, you know, it's a much more complicated business than it was in the past and LPs, have demanded more of us as the industry has grown. And that's really put more pressure on us to find additional ways to get leverage, which includes outsourcing and co-sourcing models. And anything in, uh, I don't know what you're seeing, but anything in today's environment with, we've, we've had a few uh, bank uh, crises, you know, there's interest rates, um, there's new SEC regulations, um, in in the headlines, and there's potentially slower uh, fundraising. What does that look like uh, from from your perspective? And does that change any of the equation on outsourcing or not? Well, I think there are always challenges. There's always things that we're nervous about and working on. And certainly, we have things like what's going on with inflation, you know, war in Ukraine. There's always going to be challenges. But I think the main thing for us is uh, the demand for speedy and accurate information. You know, we used to have a lot more time to respond um, to requests. We were working on 180, 90 day windows. Now that's 
45, now there's ad hoc requests that are pretty timely. Um, I think it's more that speed of business that has put pressure on us. We certainly have to continue to look at what's outside of our core competencies, right? Your core competencies, you're always going to keep inside the organization. But when it comes to operations, you know, most of those things we want to do well, but are not our core competencies. And so finding partners that can help us get that information quicker and faster, um, I think is the real challenge that's been driving us. And certainly there are specific challenges today, but really that expectation of the speed of business um, is universal. And those challenges just put a pin in it every time that there's a request based on a crisis. And is there anything um, you would say about um, your preferred process for vetting and finding out outsourcers, I mean, someone to outsource with or a partner, and um, what what kind of criteria are you using right now? Sure, I mean, like most of us, we think about internally the same way we think about our investment process. So we've always been focused on continual improvement. So that's the way we figure out value in our companies. We try to apply the same thing to ourselves. So in a traditional PE environment, we're fundraising every three or four years. Uh, we do co-investments all the time. So in some sense, you're in the market all the time, but there's a more uh, substantial process every three, four years, depending on your investment cycle. We always use that as an opportunity to both do a three-year planning exercise, right? Particularly when you're in a scaling environment, you're gonna scale the organization. Well, if I'm gonna talk to LPs and explain to them that we can do it at a larger scale, then internally we need to work through what that means. So we would do a three-year planning. And as part of that, we'd also review all of our capabilities. So each time we raised a new fund, as we were leading into a launch for that fund, we'd go, okay, let's take a moment and look at all of our relationships. Because just like any company you acquire, do M&A and grow, they go through stages. Right. What's good for you when you're an emerging manager in your first fund with 100 million of assets under management is not going to be the same thing that's good for you three years later when you have a half billion and multiple products. So we would we would do it in that kind of cycle and go through all of our relationships over the years. Uh, you know, we change our legal counsel. We change our audit partner, our tax partner. We went from self-administered to having an administrator. Um, we acquired a compliance partner and then grow that relationship to, to a new compliance partner. So I think that's the right cycle. And then when you talk about the process itself, you know, the one thing that I would sort of say is we all think a lot about the implementation, like who's the right partner, who's going to work us through the implementation. We usually shortchange the review process itself, right? We all run extremely lean. We're all extremely busy. It's hard to have the time and attention to really take these processes seriously. And they matter, right? Who you're working with as an administrator matters. If it goes wrong, you're going to have a lot of problems. So you want to get it right. But we always feel like we have to kind of shortchange the review process that as the CFO, you're responsible for the process. But honestly, you shouldn't run it right? You have a day-to-day -day job to do. You know, if you're going to be spending hundreds of thousands of dollars, half a million dollars in a relationship, 
well, maybe it pays to spend a couple of dollars to bring in a real expert to help you as a project manager, to be your partner in the review process. Um, it's easy enough for me to say that. It sounds good and I'd love to do it, but it's been very hard to do. Uh, we certainly, when we looked at the administrator process back in 2012, um, no, 2016, 17, um, you know, we didn't, we didn't take that advice. But if there's one thing I'd sort of share is don't shortchange the review process as well. Bring people in that have an experience seeing a lot of processes one and somebody who's really able to take the time and attention the focus on the process so that you can have the best information and a partner to help you think through the information. Even though you're ultimately responsible as the CFO to synthesize it and present it to management and ultimately make a decision, uh, the amount of value you would have in bringing a partner to that process, uh, you know, you're going to pay dividends in the future. And where do the do the benefits um, come in any particular area? I think you were, um, at the beginning, you were mentioning there's an acceleration of reporting. And uh, I don't know if there's a sort of technology, you know, component um, to that. Uh, and then it's also having, you know, a relationship um, with, with someone, technology or not, who's going to be accountable uh, to you if things, you know, go poorly, et cetera. Um, what are the gaps that you're trying to, to address? Are there particular gaps that a partner can facilitate addressing? Yeah, I think the point you made about the relationship is key, particularly mm -hmm. as things get faster, right? You know, in private equity and venture capital, we're not looking for someone who can process a lot of transactions, right? This isn't hedge fund space. It's not public trading. I'm not looking for unit costs for you to just like push a lot of entries through. It's complex transactions that are fewer. So the relationship is key. And that's really where the focus should be. You know, I think that one of the biggest changes of service providers in general to our industry over the last decade is becoming more relational focused, right? Because that's what we really need. We don't need to unicost a ton of transactions. We need somebody who can be our partner to do what we need to do, not I'm not going to like say, okay, file this report and then go file this report. I need you to understand what we're doing in our business so you can help us think through how to react and deal with issues as they come up. So I, I think that that's been the key for us is to focus on relationships. And as you think about relationships, you know, one side of it is, you know, as a CFO, being able to sort of tell your story and explain what you're doing but it's also understanding your partners and what their model is and what they're trying to accomplish, right? This isn't adversarial bargaining. I'm not trying to figure out how cheap I can get this service from you, right? What I need to do is figure out how we can expand the pie by having a better relationship. And that's true with our, our partners too, right? If I wanna react quickly and intelligently, then I'm not looking for the lowest course cost solution, I'm looking for the most effective solution in partnership and in collaboration, right? So, so I'll mention one thing as people kind of think about the processes they, they've run. For me, you should be asking not just, are we important to your business? Like, where do we fit in? I'm sure everybody kind of asks that. Like, 
am I going to be important enough to you? Do I fit in your business? But are you also asking them about margins? Like, how am I going to be a profitable client to you? Right? What I love is being able to help my partners make more money. Right? Mm -hmm. I want to be a good partner to my vendors. Right? Um, and so I think it's very important as we think about relationship to not just think about how they can add value to what we need done, but how are you aligned with what they're trying to accomplish? Are they focused on your end of the market, right? Uh, are you providing a margin that's sustainable? Are you providing a growth trajectory that works with their capabilities? Uh, you really do have to think about from their perspective and have those conversations. Sometimes uh, partners and vendors, you know, they're not going to raise that, right? You're not coming to a pitch with a client and saying, this is what I need, right? So you need to, to serve that role. You have to say, look, I want a long-term relationship. Long-term relationship, table stakes, you're going to have to do a good job and provide what I need. But we're also not going to have a long-term relationship if I'm not giving what you need as well. Mm -hmm. I think that that's a key to healthy long-term relationships with vendors. And I think there's been an acceleration in what we need from vendors, right? As you were talking about outsourcing, fully understand that outsourcing provides operating leverage. And we've needed that over the last decade. But what co-sourcing provides is really greater control and an extension of internal capabilities, allowing for us to have a more nimble and timely deliverable right? The, the traditional model of outsourcing, there's a little bit of passing things back and forth, right? This is my world. I'm going to pass things out. You're going to work on it. You're going to provide it to me and pass it back. You know, that's going to break down as the speed continues to increase. We really need to look for solutions that are more collaborative. So if I hear you correctly, you're saying that acceleration is one of the contributors to really need to have a strong relationship and then if I um, heard you correctly on, on that last point, the speed, however, can break down um, the relationship and you made a nod to co-sourcing and um, I've been turning exclusively to Josh and not uh, letting Mike into the conversation yet. Um, but Mike, um, can, can you actually, can we take a step back for a second? I wanna come back to speed and relationships. Can we define um, co-sourcing? Is that a hybrid work environment? What is co-sourcing? Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks. Great, great to be here, Josh. Uh, thanks. Uh, great to be here, Chris. <clears throat> Sorry about that. First and foremost, before I get to co-sourcing, I just have to say that I, I agree, agree with so much of what Josh outlined in terms of where we were, where we're going, and some of the challenges that um, we see that are really moving us into this collaborative partnership approach, because that is the winning strategy, both for fund administrators as well as GPs, and getting GPs and fund administrators to recognize this, this shift is 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 great because that really is going to be the winning formula moving forward. So I, I, I really was intently listening as as an audience member, Josh, and not just somebody that's sitting on the panel with you. And I agree wholeheartedly with what you said. 
But in terms of co-sourcing at a high level, really what it is is the, ge the general partner, the GP, and fund administrator uh, jointly operate on the GP's enterprise software to manage all of the, the operational aspects of the business, so all the day-to-day -day -day stuff that we typically engage them with, um, with regard to um, uh, producing uh, the, the end results that we need for them, the deliverables. You know, further, what I would say is it allows the GP to re retain possession and control of their data, but it also simultaneously allows us, the service provider, to work within the software to manage uh, all of the fund admin deliverables, as well as um, other needs, potentially, dep depending upon on the engagement. Um, I guess more holistically, you know, it's really in it, the way I think of it is an in innovative approach to managing fund administration, compliance needs, while you're also trying to leverage it for business insights to help make better information, put uh, the velocity of information at your, your fingertips much faster than what we've been able to do uh, historically in the space. And in overall, just making the operations for the general partner, as well as the fund administrator, more effective and more efficient in, in meeting all of these, uh, what I'll call more newer and, and, and more challenging and complex demands. And to clarify, um, I don't think this is, I don't know if this is necessarily the central point, but when you're saying jointly um, working on the same enterprise software, who has the license? Is it the fund administrator? Is it the GP or? Yeah, so the general partner will hold the license of the actual software. So what we do is we come into the general partner's environment within that particular software, and we operate uh, our fund administration duties within that world. Um, so there's lots of benefits, and we've talked about the benefits and trade-offs that you have of, of the co-sourcing uh, model. But yes, you're in the general partner uh, license environment. So then I said I wanted to circle back to um, um, Josh hasn't interrupted me yet to say that I, I have it wrong, but 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 I but I hear um, a sort of um, you know speed is driving the importance of relationships, um, but speed can also degrade uh, what those relationships can can deliver. Can you how does that relate to co-sourcing as a variation on the outsourcing theme? Well, if I can jump in for a second, I think it's Please. a bit about control of information, right? So one of the reasons why a decade, 15 years later, many of the legacy companies still do their own books and still don't have an administrator is yeah. surprise, surprise, we're all type A personalities and everybody wants to control their information. Um, so there's a real tension with this idea of like, we've been doing it in-house for 10, 15 years to pass it off. So what happens is there's this, this like, like wall where you'll pass information back and forth over this wall. Um, and I think that that's, that's where the tension is, right? And so in order to be quicker, you gotta let people in. And mm -hmm. the, the problem with outsourcing is by nature, that was, you know, maybe putting too much control outside the organization, right? And that that was the trade-off. The trade-off is you'll be able to do more and I'll review. Like you're not talking directly to my LPs, you're passing it back to me. 
I'll look at it, I'll think about it, and I'll control the ultimate source of the internal information, right? But because there's this sort of back and forth, and then do I have to keep shadow books forever? And like, how do I kind of still have control of the information has really made it difficult for people to make that leap, right? But the idea of something like co-sourcing is inviting that capability inside the organization, right? Like we'll never be able to hire that full capabilities because you know a firm like Mike's is going to bring in you know partial resources. We're not the only client, so you can bring that level of capabilities in. But we used to think of it as like insourcing, right? Like how do we bring the folks into our house? They don't technically get paid directly by me as a W two employee, but they're employees of the firm to us. Um, and so I think the challenge had been like from the vendor side, thinking about compliance and whether you have enough control of the controls themselves. But the other thing that's working in line with this is you know, LPs really sort of demanding third-party touch and much deeper controls, not just like for cybersecurity and, and fraud and issues like that, but just that you know, the books and records aren't only trust me, like it's inside the house and we're good. Private equity, real estate restructuring, um, it's the last bastion of really self-administered funds. Most of the rest of the market has gone to professionals doing that side of the house. So um, <clears throat> hopefully I'm not gonna lose folks with a um, philosophy reference, but this sounds like it's a dialectic in that there was a time when things were internal and that satisfied a need for control. Um, I don't know if, you know, the Bernie Madoff scandal might have uh, contributed to things then being external, um, which might have also helped things be somewhat faster um, as, as funds scale, but you're losing a certain degree of, of control and you're losing some of the internal team value. I think, Mike, you've talked about um, that was one of the you know joys of of your work um, as a CFO on the private capital side was working with that that inter internal team. So it seems like co-sourcing is an attempt to have some sort of synthesis between between these two poles, where you can have um, internal control and internal team, but you have the ability to scale. And if that is true. Uh, let me stop there. Is that true? Would you would you say that the co-sourcing is an attempt to sort of synthesize between the merits of internal and the uh, the benefits of of outsourcing? Yeah, I, I think for me it it it's an evolution of of those two two sort of eras, so to speak, and it's just version 2.0, 3.0, whatever you want to call it. But to me, it's the next logical step to get. Um, you know, to a place that's the most efficient for both sides. The market changes, the needs change, how we adapt, you know, initially back in Madoff, and that was a, a, a pivotal point in the, in the PEVC world in terms of how we transitioned from primarily self-admin to today, we're primarily uh, outsourced. Um, we've grown, the market has grown over 100% from uh, in-source to outsource during that period. And the first reaction was outsource, outsource, outsource. But now we're, we're at a point with, okay, we've done that. We continue to do that, but what is the best model going forward? And I think, you know, from my perspective, 
one of the, the first next iterations includes outsourcing because outsourcing does address the needs that, that were created based on um, some of the items that, that Josh, Josh mentioned. Further, we're hearing uh, a lot of folks that just say, hey, we need to integrate data in a way, if we're outsourced to you, it's really hard for us to integrate different pieces of data that may need to go in multiple places. So they, they're starting to come up with this broader uh, data plan. Now, all of the big guys have a data plan, but this data plan concept is moving down into the middle market as well because of the velocity around data requests, whether it be from limited partners or from the regulators, you need to have access to this data. So how do you do that in the most efficient way. Well, co-sourcing allows you to have a broader data plan that, that, that you can now integrate pieces of data from different softwares and bring them together. Think port code monitoring, um, mirroring that with all of the fund admin, uh, LP calls, distributions, multiples uh, in, in gross net IRRs and all of that. Um, you know, um, um, you know, sort of thing that that we're trying to pull together as an interesting so I, or as an industry. So I do think we're 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 at a point where co-sourcing fits that bill. I want to ask. I'm watching the clock. Um, there's a Q and A section, but I want to see if I can squeeze in um, uh, two questions here before we uh, hit the half hour. Um, so I'm envisioning as I'm listening to you both. Um, there's there's a part of the market that's probably still. Um, um, you know, internal, they have not outsourced. There's a part of the market that is outsourcing, and then there's a part of the market that is probably the newest, maybe most interesting part, which is uh, formulating what co-sourcing looks like, maybe, Mike, towards what you're describing, uh, question number one. Um, so if this is a synthesis, um, you know, the outsource, one of, as we were saying, one of the things pushing the outsourcing model was, um, um ensuring that reporting was from an from an external third party from a um safety perspective for, for investors on the co-sourcing model if the gp has access to the data has the software license how do you how do you balance that how do you address the lps um, need to ensure that uh, the reporting is not being fiddled with yeah i think it's, it's a good question i'll first start it out with you know if you're currently self-administered and folks are, have been okay with that historically, you're in no worse position than somebody that's currently self-administered. Um, secondly, we as a firm, we have our own SOC um, uh, audit that we go through. And what I'll say is all of the controls that we have in place with regard to a co-sourcing situation remain in place. So all of your maker checker, all of the sign-offs that we need, client approvals, et cetera, et cetera. All of those things still um, uh, happen even in the co-sourcing situation. Further, when it comes to co-sourcing, what we ask our clients is to give us the um, ability to act transactionally within the platform. And they essentially have a read-only view of the accounting piece. So we try to control as much as we can with the, the rights on the back end related to the accounting platform. Now, that doesn't guarantee that they don't go in and, and try to do some things, but there's at least um, a, a, a process and mechanism in place to ensure that none of that happens. Further to that, you know, if there is a real concern around that sort of thing, you could put all kinds of controls in place to make sure that 
the data that was signed off on is the data that went out to the limited partners. You know, um, what we often do is we, we're, we're looking at uh, banking activity on a daily basis. So more of the mundane day-to-day uh, -day functional stuff, we're in that and doing that every day. Um, and if something is, is awry, we will notice that very, very quickly as an administrator. But in terms of the control of sending information out, uh, you know, if there's going to be a bad actor, you could have all the best controls in the world. You're not going to prevent a bad actor from doing something. That said, you can put in a control environment on top of your normal SOC environment that would uh, put you in a position to, to understand what's gone out in the platform that may have not come from the fund administrator. So it's, it, it's, it's case by case, uh, GP by GP, but we feel comfortable that you're in a much better position than if you were just in a self-admin environment. Yeah, I, I wholly agree with that, Mike. And I actually think, you know, the demand from LPs that even smaller managers have a real institutional look and feel to them, that you're yeah. not a small emerging manager. And so we'll kind of like cut corners about expectations. Like that's really beginning to go away, right? And so- yep you know, partnering with someone like you allows us to accelerate that institutionalizing of the organization because you come with the with your operating manual on the accounting side. And, yep. you know, it's something that, you know, dozens of clients are also using. Uh, it's not, you know, a special case. It's the same one that dozens of other clients are using, bigger and smaller. Um, and that's another reason why it's sort of helpful, like operational due diligence at LP meetings, starting from the very first time you're trying to raise capital, have become much more intense as well. You know, as a CFO, this last time of fundraising, you know, we were presenting decks to the LPs to go through our operational due diligence, right? And what are they trying to do? I mean, they're going into the details, but they really want to see an institutional look and feel to operation. And that's vastly helped by having partners that are bringing in those pieces. Same thing on the compliance program side, right? Like having a partner on the compliance side that's kind of helping you package the program is extremely valuable. That's true for sure on the accounting side. Yep, couldn't, couldn't agree more. We've run out of time for my second question. Uh, so I might uh, set it in writing and, and share it with, uh, with the participants. Um, but um, thank you very much, both of you. Uh, I really enjoyed this. Um, and um, we look forward to uh, following up. Thank you very, very much, both of you. Thanks, yep. Chris. Thanks, guys. Take care. Yep.